Good evening. Pelosi says the Build Back Better plan will lose about a trillion dollars in government investment. A Giuliani associate faces trial for illegal campaign contributions. Indigenous Peoples Day and the legacy of Christopher Columbus and a new plan for accelerated learning. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for October 12th, 2021. Members of the House scrambled back to Washington today to approve a short-term lift of the nation's debt limit. The $480 billion increase in the country's borrowing ceiling cleared the Senate last week on a party-line vote. The House is expected to approve it swiftly so President Joe Biden can sign it into law this week. A default would have, immense, uh, would have had immense fallout on global financial markets built upon the bedrock of U.S. government debt. Republicans signal the next debt limit debate in December won't be any easier and warn Democrats not to expect their help. The current debt ceiling is $28.4 trillion. And in related news, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Democrats are ready to slash entire pieces of President Joe Biden's Build Back Better economic plan to get it through Congress. Party leaders have acknowledged they'll likely have to cut $1 trillion or more from their $3.5 trillion social safety net and climate proposal. Pelosi spoke earlier today. We have some important decisions to make in the next few days so that we can proceed. I'm very disappointed that we're not going with the original $3.5 trillion, which was very transformative. Whatever we do, we'll make decisions that will continue to be transformative about women in the workplace. So transformed because of child care and, and universal pre-K, which sort of go together, the child tax credit, home health care workers, men benefit too, but largely women, and women are those caregivers as well. So not only to free up women to go into the workplace for their own professions and interest, but also to recognize the work that women do in uh, providing that health care, issues that relate to family and medical leave and the rest. Build Back Better is three baskets. It's climate, which we spent some time talking about already, health, jobs, security, and moral responsibility, health care, the issues that relate to the Affordable Care Act, Medicare and Medicaid, and family care. Whatever we do, it will be transformative. It will produce results. And we would are very grateful to our president for saying, I want to pass the bipartisan legislation on infrastructure, but I will not confine my vision for the future to what is, can be in that bill. Hence, we need the Build Back Better. And that's Nancy Pelosi. Democrats aim to pass a bill through budget reconciliation, which allows legislation to get through the Senate with a simple majority. But cutting programs to win over centrists, such as West Virginia's Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, could risk support from progressives. And in New York City, jury selection began today in the trial of Ukrainian-American businessman Lev Parnas, a one-time associate of Donald Trump's former lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and his co-defendant, Andrei Kakushkin. Parnas has been charged with concealing an illegal $325,000 donation to support Trump's unsuccessful re-election bid. Parnas and Kukushkin were also charged with illegally using donations to U.S. politicians from a wealthy Russian businessman to obtain legal recreational marijuana distribution licenses. U.S. District Court Judge J. Paul Oatkin spoke with potential jurors asking if they had strong feelings about Trump and Giuliani that prevented them from being impartial. In a tell-all interview with MSNBC host Rachel Maddow earlier this year, Parnas says he wouldn't have made a move without the approval of Rudy Giuliani. And I think 
the world needs to know. What do you think is the main inaccuracy or the main lie that's being told that you feel like you can correct? That the president didn't know what was going on. Uh, president Trump knew exactly what was going on. Uh, he was aware of all of my movements. Uh, he, I wouldn't do anything without the consent of Rudy Giuliani or the president. I have no intent, I have no reason to speak to any of these officials. I mean, they have no reason to speak to me. Why would President Zelensky's inner circle or the minister of ACO for all these people or President Poroshenko meet with me? Who am I? Mm -hmm. They were told to meet with me and uh, that's the secret that they're trying to keep. I was on the ground doing their work. Parnas went on to tell Maddow the goal of his trips to meet officials in Ukraine was to hurt Joe Biden's campaign for the White House, and he says Trump knew everything. It was all about Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and uh, also Rudy had a personal thing with the Manafort stuff, uh, uh, the Black Ledger. Mm -hmm. That was another thing uh, that they were looking into, but uh, it was never about uh, corruption. It was never it was strictly about uh, the Burisma, which included Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Lev Parnas speaking with Rachel Maddow last January. Among the revelations from Parnas, everyone in the White House was in the loop. Ukraine's government was confronted with a harsh threat from Trump to cut off all aid, and the nation didn't co- if the nation didn't cooperate. And a GOP senator, Robert Hyde, was spe- was spying on U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. And in Washington, Vice President Kamala Harris marked the new holiday of Columbus Indigenous Peoples Day by claiming European colonizers devastated tribal nations. Those explorers ushered in a wave of devastation for tribal nations, perpetrating violence, stealing land, and spreading disease. We must not shy away from this shameful past, and we must shed light on it and do everything we can to address the impact of the past on Native communities today. Today we know that Native women and girls are missing and murdered at alarming rates. This is an epidemic and it must end. Native Americans are more likely to live in poverty, to be unemployed, and often struggle to get quality health care and to find affordable housing. Our Infrastructure and Jobs Act and our Build Back Better agenda represent the largest investment in Indian country in our history. More than a point of pride, this is a sign of our administration's respect for our nation-to-nation relationship. It is my prayer that as one family, we seize this moment in our shared history to bring about shared prosperity. May we protect the future of our children and their children for generations to come. Harris's promise to speak the truth about American history was itself unique in the nation's history. Harris delivered the virtual address the day after a federal holiday originally named for Christopher Columbus. The Italian explorer who arrived in Americas in 1492 was named as the new Indigenous Peoples Day by President Biden. Meanwhile, in Lafayette Square, outside the White House, the words expect us were spray painted on the base of a statue of Andrew Jackson, the seventh president who led efforts to displace and exterminate Native American peoples. In a bitterly divided country, 
the teaching of American history has become a political flashpoint as battles continue over industrial pollution on native lands. The Enbridge Line 3 oil pipeline in Minnesota has become one of those flashpoints. Hundreds of protectors have blocked construction equipment and scores were arrested at protests in Washington, D.C. A leader of the struggle is attorney Chase Ironize, a member of the Oglala Sioux tribe in South Dakota. He says Biden's proclamation declaring Indigenous Peoples Day was welcome. But the fight continues. Biden represents the United States of America and indigenous peoples represent a swing vote potential in every single presidential election, a significant number of congressional and Senate seats, as well as state government elections. What we're seeing is the indigenous voice finally being heard because it cannot be ignored. At the same time, Biden is trying to reconcile the propaganda and the misinformation of American educational, government, media, and other institutions that have told us that somebody who showed children into rape situations is a cultural hero that we should be celebrating. A lot of our Italian Brothers and sisters like to like to celebrate Columbus for his spirit of determination in sailing across the seas. But what we're missing is the actual truth. For instance, all of the young children being unearthed at mass graves at church-run, state-sponsored institutions, we are now entering a time where a truth-telling in the first instance is now possible is now happening in our country. So at the same time, President Biden is declaring and recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day, which I'm thankful for. He's also using LRAD disbursement technologies and brutalities against peaceful water protectors who are in front of the White House demanding that he cancel Line 3 and craft a strategy that addresses the climate crisis involving the advice of indigenous nations. It is significant. I'm extremely encouraged that Biden has taken this step because it's a breath of fresh air considering what Trump did during his administration, which was to continue that narrative of indigenous eraser. What is going on with line three and uh, what are people doing against it? It takes kind of a deeper dive to understand how the political and economic terrorism and subjugation against indigenous nations right now in our time. So line three is a pipeline that Enbridge is trying to build. And Enbridge Corporation says that they begin pumping oil through certain segments of the pipeline, but that is rhetoric to try to discourage people from calling for what is right in terms of not letting private profit dictate our energy policy or our foreign policy. So we support our Anishinaabe and other land defenders there on the ground. The reports that have come out about the governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome, and that the South Dakota government is bought and paid for by offshore billionaires. Yeah, South Dakota has been engaged in nefarious conduct since they stole our land and that they currently illegally occupy, and they refuse to recognize that 
this is our country, that this is Lakota country. They refuse to stop their violations of international law, to stop their violations of federal law. The state government has grotesque disparities in terms of Native children in foster care and being placed in non-Native homes and institutions. The state of South Dakota also has a grotesque and disproportionate number of Indigenous peoples in their prison systems. At the same time, they were trying to violate our territorial integrity when we put up checkpoints in our homelands. This is what I mean by a violent settler mentality. It is expressed through leaders like Christy Nome and people who follow in lockstep the racist, radical fringe in this country who tried and who caused blood to be spilled in the United States Capitol. If you pay attention to where Christy Nome goes, who she consorts with, Corey Lewandowski trying to be a sycophant for Donald Trump, consorting with the likes of Steve Bannon, David Duke, it's pretty clear the racist radical fringe is trying to exploit the fear, doubt, and the confusion that comes from a country that lies to its citizens for centuries on centuries. Fortunately, with Indigenous People's Day and with Indigenous people asserting themselves and reclaiming their agency, that is no longer the future that we're willing to live with. The Indian wars have not ended. Why this guy? I don't know. Italian-Americans are getting together to try and dump this guy. I made several trips to Italy. I know exactly the brilliance of our Italian brothers and sisters. If we're going to talk about Columbus and try to prop him up as some sort of cultural icon, then let's just tell the truth about him. He was a complex character, and it does us no good to not tell the truth to each other. This is our country. We're all in this together, but we need to start the truth-telling process because that precedes reconciliation and justice. Attorney Chase Iron Eyes is a member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe. The Sioux Nations had isolated their communities from COVID infection with checkpoints opposed by South Dakota, which has taken positions against measures taken to stop the spread of the virus in general. Meanwhile, yesterday, several elected officials in New York skipped the Columbus Day Parade back for the first time since the pandemic derailed all events last year. Democratic mayoral nominee Eric Adams was noticeably absent from the celebration. Ace Adams said he marked the holiday over the weekend. That gave an opening to his Republican opponent, Curtis Sliwa, who walked through the route, often stopping for photos and to shake hands with the crowd. State Attorney General Letitia James, who's mulling a run for governor, was also missing from the festivities, while Mayor Bill de Blasio, whose term is over in less than 80 days and is also considering a run for the state's highest office, got a frosty reception made up of mostly boos and tepid applause. Governor Kathy Hochul briefly joined the parade and took a pass at criticizing de Blasio, a possible opponent in the election. The new respect for indigenous people hasn't been missed. Mohawk Radio host John Kane says Columbus should have been seen as a criminal and not a saint. Doubt that that he was transformed into this figure that especially Italian Americans and the Catholic Church really pushed out there. The fact of the matter is he wasn't really Italian. He was genuine. At least that's the conventional wisdom. In 1492, Italy wasn't even a country. It was a peninsula that was controlled in the south by Spain and in the middle by still the remnants of Rome, and Genoa was a bit of a city-state in and of itself. It wasn't a distinct 
Italy or Italian culture, it was just regarded as Italia from a land standpoint, but not from a person or, stand, or a nation standpoint. What is the political meaning to Native American people of Columbus today? I'm less enthusiastic about an, an indigenous people's day than I am about refuting the myth of Columbus. And, and for us, his legacy is the doctrine of Christian discovery and the originator to a 500-year genocide, as far as many of us are concerned, it still continues today. You can't talk about Columbus without talking about the papal bulls that would reinforce this notion that the Christian nations of Europe could just take land and commit people to slavery. And so whether that was Africa or North America, South America, Central America, this is what is the legacy of Columbus. None of this other stuff. They didn't prove the world was round. They knew that long before him. He didn't discover America. In fact, he died believing he had still believing that he had reached the easternmost islands of Indonesia. He didn't know that he had stumbled across a landmass that, frankly, wasn't somehow conjoined to, to Asia. He thought he proved that you could reach Asia by sailing across the Atlantic, you know, of, of you know, the legacy of Columbus. Basically, he invented or unleashed the idea of Western imperialism on the world that we're still dealing with today. It was already begun. And in fact, his voyage was really a part of that. He believed he had reached the easternmost islands of Indonesia and immediately began to take those people as slaves. I mean, the first transatlantic slave ship wasn't Africans to the Western Hemisphere. It was native people from the Caribbean being hauled back to Spain. This idea of imperialism was both a church. It was about spreading Christendom, especially getting permission or giving permission and authority to the Christian nations of Europe to do so. Columbus's voyage certainly unleashed that whole European notion to a world that, frankly, they weren't familiar with. And Native people didn't get subjugated by conquest necessarily. They got subjugated by this idea of church doctrine written into law. The statues, the one on 59th Street, Columbus Circle, some people say that one should be preserved because of its historical significance. I've heard some people say, well, rather than taking them down, they should add more representation of what Columbus really stood for. But who the hell would want this statue up if they knew the atrocities? I mean, Columbus was shipping nine and ten year old girls back to men in Spain. Who would want to celebrate that? I think that they should come down. Like I said, I feel more strongly about refuting Columbus's myth, the statues and the parades, than I do about leading the charge for Indigenous Peoples Day. I mean, I think sometimes the holidays are a little silly in a way. As far as Biden's comment goes, I still think it's a slap in the face if you're going to try to say that he's going to proclaim acknowledgement of Indigenous Peoples Day and then on the, <laughs> on the next breath talk about Columbus Day. It's like a slap in the face to say that we have to share, what, the, the crappiest day in the, in, <laughs> of the year with this guy. You saw de Blasio. You saw Cuomo. You saw both of those guys lash out against the New York City School District because they tried to push through Indigenous Peoples Day. They said, nope, you got to share it. you got to split the holiday between Indigenous Peoples Day and an Italian, you know, whatever they want, uh, Columbus Day. And, and, and Cuomo himself said that Columbus has come to mean, has come to represent um, some contribution to uh, Italian-American heritage. And, and it's just a false connection. They say every statue should be taken individually. Some before the 1800s might have some historic references, but anything definitely after 1950 was put up there on purpose. It's not unlike the number of Confederate statues that would be pushed through during the Jim Crow era. This whole idea of using statues to propagandize Columbus was used that way, in the same way the Confederate yeah. statues were. 
And that's John Kane. He's the co-host of Resistance Radio Thursdays at 3 p.m. on WBAI. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In more New York City news, there are serious concerns over a plan to privatize changes in health care for retired city employees. The city has been moving folks to a managed care plan run by private insurance companies and known as Advantage Care. But the retirees say the new health plan that pushes costs from city to federal coffers will force many to give up their doctors. Members of the United Federation of Teachers say you'll be at a rally with parents tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. at the UFT Shanker Hall, 52 Broadway in Manhattan, to support a resolution to oppose the health care changes. They say the present and coming changes are sure to jeopardize the health and welfare of vulnerable retirees and working members alike. And the nation's most controversial job, mayor of New York City, was not without controversy today. 60 protesters gathered in front of Department of Education headquarters in Manhattan today to lobby for the preservation of the city's gifted and talented program. Mayor de Blasio announced the dissolution of the city's current accelerated learning model on Friday and unveiled a new structure that would nix separate classrooms for advanced kids. I think everyone knows by now I don't believe a single standardized test should determine anyone's future at any age, but certainly not at the age of four. We're getting rid of a lot of the artificial barriers that limited the number of kids who could get accelerated learning because the previous approach limited that number severely. Typical year, kindergarten, 65,000 kids go into kindergarten, but only 2,500 got gifted and talented programs. We're flipping the script. We're saying let's reach all 65,000 and see what they have and help them draw it out and help them build their future. De Blasio has resisted ending the previous gifted and talented program until his last months in office, says there are more than 2,500. There are more than the 2,500 gifted students in city schools that are uh, being taught that way today. We're going to go out to communities over the next two months. There's going to be community conversations in all 32 school districts. Senior Department of Education leaders will be out there, including our chancellor. And then in December, we'll come back with a full and final plan. But what we know is this is the beginning of something very exciting, very positive, really unlocking the potential of our kids. This has a lot to do with what the future of the city will be. Because think of all those kids who were overlooked. Think of all the kids who were told they didn't have a special talent when in fact they did. Bringing those talents out, what that means for this city and its very bright future. Mayor de Blasio and schools chancellor Misha Ross Porter says all students should get a chance. Our plan, Brilliant NYC, centers students' strengths and gives them the support they need to succeed. And it will bring parents, community leaders, educators and other stakeholders into the fold and incorporate their ideas and feedback as well. Under this plan, current students in GNT classes will remain in their program so their education is not disrupted. But beginning with next year's kindergarten class, all of them will have access to accelerated instruction in their classrooms. Our current GNT model serves 2,500 kindergartners a year. So with the expansion of accelerated learning to all 65,000 students, 26 times more students will benefit from this tailored instructional model in its first year alone. This is a game changer for families, students, and schools. And it will mean the end of determining what four-year-olds are gifted and talented based on their performance during a single test. And that's school's chancellor, Misha Ross-Porter, 
Hopefully, the truth about Columbus Day will be in the new curriculum. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, October 12, 2021. The news was producer Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.